Let's read together from Holy Scripture, 2 Samuel 13, page 311 in your pew Bibles, 2 Samuel 13. We'll read the entire chapter. It does hang together as one unit. We meet the royal family here, God's royal family in disarray. And again, a reminder how we need the great son of David, Jesus Christ, to make it to the throne and rule over us. 2 Samuel 13. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and Make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes and she took the, the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chambers to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore and she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon your brother been with you? 
Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good or bad. For Absalom hated him, Amnon, because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon and as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. And while they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Ammon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled. And the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come to your servant. As your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Jeshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Jeshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. This is God's word. Believe it or not, this is God's word. And it's for our instruction and encouragement in our faith, beloved. And we do believe it because all of Scripture is breathed out by God and useful, says the Bible, profitable for instruction Rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Beloved congregation, the terrible events that unfolded in Uvalda, Texas on May 24. Remember, maybe you heard of those events. The school shooting that killed 19 students and two teachers. That disastrous event was a devastating combination of two factors, wickedness and negligence. What was done and what wasn't done. 
That's right, it took the combination of horrible actions of an evil man who went on a killing rampage in room 11, 111 in a school with an assault rifle, assaulting unarmed and defenseless students and teachers. An evil man on a killing rampage plus horrible inaction of more than a dozen armed and armored police officers waiting in the hallway outside the classroom while the shooting took place. And doors being unlocked. And that's all it took. What could have been taken care of and should have been taken care of in three minutes was allowed to unfold over one hour and 14 minutes to reap a harvest of destruction. We have the same thing here in 2 Samuel 13, these horrible events that occurred in Amnon's house to ruin Tamar's life. It was a combination of the evil actions of a wicked man, but also the evil inaction and negligence and compliance of others. And the disturbing, detestable scene carefully set before us 2 Samuel 13 in detail. Sometimes David's triumphs, great successes are, are passed over in one sentence. And yet here the ugliness of the royal family is put before us in the tiny details. And it's a clear picture of the royal house in disarray as a consequence of David's sin. This passage is a cry for help. It's a cry for help from Tamar, but also from all Israel. Lord, we had hoped David would do it, would bring about the perfect kingdom. But we need the son of David We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the Messiah. It's a cry for help today as well. That all God's people are reminded that our confidence must not be put in princes or in man, but only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we meet the evil that's present then the good that's missing, the good that's absent, and the help that's needed. The evil that's present, the good that's absent, and the help God's people need. The evil that's here in this passage. The cast of wicked characters here is grotesque. As one author put it, we have an anti-brother, We have an anti-friend, we have an anti-dad, and we have an anti-king who work together to ruin a beautiful, godly woman in Israel. First, there's the anti-brother, Amnon. He's a half-brother to Absalom and Tamar. Absalom and Tamar are children of David through his wife, Maacah, 
a Gentile woman from the tribe of Jesher. Amnon is David's oldest from his wife Ahinoam. So they're half siblings. And then Amnon notices one day just how beautiful Absalom's sister Tamar, his half-sister, has become. And he falls in love with her. No, he didn't truly love her, but he thought he did. He thought he did. He was infatuated with her. It was a self-centered love, a cruel, a brutal love, an anti-love, a fallen love. It was lust. And lust, brothers and sisters, is an evil appetite that can never say enough. It can never be satisfied. It treats women and men as prey to be consumed and then discarded with the leftovers. And Amnon fantasized over his sister with perverted desire. And he wouldn't let go of her in his mind and feelings. And it ate him so much, ate him up so much that he became depressed and sick. Yes, he became sick with lust. He's not at all the kind of brother our Lord Jesus is. He's an anti-brother. But Tamar was a pure godly woman and she was not ready to play along. Which made him even more sick and depressed. Then we meet the anti-friend Jonadab, his cousin, Amnon's cousin, son of David's brother, Shimea. What a twisted friend. Because a true friend would have quoted Proverbs, would have told Amnon, my friend, your desires of evil are evil and you have to put them to death in the Spirit's power. Don't feed your lusts. But go to God to kill them. Don't feed your lust by continuing to think, by continuing to feast your eyes. Do what Job did, make a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully at all. Don't feed your lusts. He could have made that choice by the power of God. And Jonadab could have given that, him that counsel. a terrible event. Amnon, call on the name of the Lord before your desires grow and begin to spill out in the streets and you do something that should not be done. A true friend would speak as James does in the gospel of James. You're being driven by your own evil desires and when this conceived, it gives birth to sin and, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Amnon, don't go there. Take it to the cross. We would say today, Jesus died to forgive you and make you holy. He's got everything you need, Amnon. And, and that was available even in the old covenant before Jesus came. And so I say that today to young men, to older men, to myself, don't let evil desires grow in you. Don't let lust develop. Don't feed it. It will bear terrible fruit. 
Your desires will eventually run away with you and you will commit perverse and shameful acts you did not think you could do. And you use your power to hurt and destroy people's lives. So don't trust in yourself. If even the beginning of evil desire enters your mind or emotion, snuff it out before it becomes a raging fire. Brothers, let's always treat girls and women with utmost respect and honor. Do not touch her. Do not steal from her what's not yours. Do not even look or think about her in an ungodly way. But Jonadab was no such friend. What an evil man. Sneaky as the devil. He conspired with Amnon how to take his sister down. He hatched a wicked plot where Amnon would pretend he was sick. David would come in and see him. He would get David's permission to have Tamar come into his apartment and be his nurse and servant. And the plan worked. David foolishly arranged Tamar to serve Amnon and the shifty-eyed tiger Amnon watched his sister while she prepared food and then came to his sickbed to serve him. And what a lioness of a lady. Look at her protest in verses 12 and 13. No, my brother, do not do this outrageous thing. And then she supplies three reasons. Such a thing is not done in Israel. Christians don't behave this way. This is the stuff of pagans. It's not who our God saved us to be. First argument. Second one. What will it do to me? I'll have no place to put my shame. It'll ruin my future in this life. And what will it do to you? It'll consign you to be one of those outrageous fools in Israel. Somebody who is known to be corrupt and against the Lord. It'll bring shame on you the rest of your life. Tamar is the only person in this passage who's above reproach. She's a true princess. She's a true lioness, a true woman of God. But Amnon wouldn't listen. He forced himself on her and violated her. Paul says such sins shouldn't even be named in the church of God. But here it is. Here it is. And God's not going to sweep such evil under the rug. Because brothers and sisters, this is what lives in us. One author put it this way, we're on the mountaintop of sin, but don't kid yourself, we're living in the foothills of sin. It doesn't take much to climb up the mountain. Take heed. Take heed. God is calling us again not to put our confidence in ourselves, but to run to God for help because this is what we can do. And then after he committed the violation, the rape, he turns on her and hates her with an even greater hatred than the love with which he loved her, it says. And he tells her, out, get out. 
And when she protests that this is no way to resolve the evil that has just transpired, it will leave both of us ruined. He calls in a servant and says, verse 17, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. And the word woman is not in the Hebrew. Put this, put this out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Treat her like a piece of trash. And this is how evil works, brothers and sisters. Rather than own his sin and repent, he pinned it to her and hated her. Rather than go to the cross and get the guilt taken care of and the evil nature changed and remove the stigma from her, as much as he could from his side. He pins it on her. Rather than condemning himself, repenting of his sin and facing his just sentence. And this is why people hate so viscerally, so deeply, the people they hurt. Because they pin their hateful deed on the other person. People of God, if we have violated someone, we must not hang on to it, but must go to our Savior to be forgiven and also go to our Savior to receive a new life and new desires and respect for others and also to promote healing in the person we've hurt by owning it and not putting it on them. Well, our heart goes out to that godly lady who's the victim of this violence, Tamar. She comes in beautiful. She goes out desolate. She's still beautiful, but her beauty is hidden under a cloak of shame and sorrow. And we read in verses 19 and 20, that painful section, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? He knows what Amnon's like. Now hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this to heart. Of course, he doesn't mean that. We'll see later. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Desolate means devastated. Now, thankfully, Absalom took her into his house and provided shelter, but we never read of her again. Now we know she'll receive justice on the day of justice. When Christ returns, and that then her glory will be fully restored, and she's still beautiful in the sight of the Lord as a godly lady. But did she get to experience any kind of restoration and healing here? We don't know. We're not told. Brothers and sisters, we know God hears the cries of the oppressed, and the Bible says that He takes their tears and collects them in His bottle. The victim of oppression in Psalm 56 says, This I know, that God is for me. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? We may say, where were you, God, when I needed you most? 
And many have to wait a long time for justice to come, even until after they die. That day will come when God will return and wipe every tear from our eyes and exact vengeance on his enemies and ours. He's near to to us even when he seems far away. Psalm 9 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name, Lord, put their trust in you, for you have not forsaken those who seek you. You see, not only does Amnon need the cross of Christ, but the cross is for Tamar too, the innocent one, for our Savior was treated like dirt, despised as garbage, He was rejected and he became desolate so that we might be restored and we might be lifted up again and may already in this life experience the beginning of renewal and healing. If someone has stolen from us and shamed us, let's not carry that alone but share it with safe people who will then lead us to Christ to find refuge, safety, renewal, hope, and happiness in him. The evil that's present, the good that's absent, secondly, the good that's missing. We've looked at the anti-brother. We've looked at the anti-friend, and now we look at the anti-dad and the anti-king. For all that Amnon did and all that Jonadab did and all that Absalom did later, the central figure here is David. Yes, he's background, and that's the problem. But every step of the chapter, David keeps popping up. He's the father in this fallen family and at the same time the king of this people. And he keeps showing up as what? The dad who does nothing. He just wrings his hands. He's just frustrated. But it's the dad who does nothing. David did nothing about this terrible sin in his family and this terrible crime in Israel. First, he fails to protect his daughter. He allows Amnon's request to have her come into his apartment and serve as his nurse. Amnon's request is suspicious at best, and David should have smelled that and cared enough to look into this further if he had just checked with Absalom. Absalom would have filled him in. He knew that Amnon was not to be trusted. Dads, as fathers, we are protectors of our children and we should actively guard the purity of our sons and daughters. No, we can't micromanage every detail of their lives and neither can we know everything and prevent everything. But this world is a wicked place and we live in a wicked and perverse generation and we should help our children fight their lusts and also do what we can to shield them from the lusts of others and not throw them to the wolves and hope everything turns out okay. And second, he fails to punish his son, Amnon. When David heard of all these things, we read in verse 21, he was very angry, and that's all well and good. He should be, but he did nothing. And then the next verse, 22, we read, after two full years, two full years, he did nothing. 
This is not just an anti-dad, but an anti-king. His task from God is to justice, to do justice in Israel, to punish the evildoer, to punish Amnon. David did nothing. Maybe because he was the oldest son. Maybe in some way he had thought Amnon would be the next man on the throne. We don't know. But there's a vacuum of righteousness and justice in the land. By David's inaction and and what, what happens, Absalom steps into that. His anger toward Amnon is righteous, but his action is not. Absalom is very calculated. He's angry, but he hides it very well. He spoke to Amnon neither good or bad. And he had planned right from the beginning at some point to murder his brother, his anger. One author writes, a sophisticated, high-class hatred, a patient hatred, a rage that could wait. And so after two years, Absalom carried out his plan. It was time to shear sheep and time to butcher Amnon. And after persisting with his dad, David follows Amnon and all his other sons to go to the sheep shearing party. And there Absalom pulls the trigger on Amnon. He has his servants kill Amnon when he's drunk. And David thinks all of them have been killed. But again, his nephew Jonadab comes out. He assures him only Amnon is dead. And there's great mourning for Amnon. And then Absalom sees his life is in trouble because he's murdered Amnon. And David's going to go after him. So he hides among his, his mother's people. He hides out in Jeshur among his relatives. Amnon is a predator, but now Absalom is a murderer. We understand his spot. But he allowed his anger to become something grotesque and evil. He did not plead, apparently, with David to do justice, never talked to him. But he waited and silent hatred for sweet revenge and became overcome with hatred. Absalom also needed the cross of Jesus, a place where he could put his bitterness and rage and desire for revenge, where he could find peace and knowing that his sister was secure in God and he could minister that to his sister as well. And that he could use also in Christ every opportunity to confront his brother and lead him to repentance and salvation. Oh, what a sorry lot is the royal family. And brothers and sisters, the most painful thing for us to know is that this is God's family. This is God's royal family. This is Israel. There's no unrighteous in this scene but Tamar. The darkness deepens in Israel. How can God build his church and kingdom on such people. And that's where we go thirdly, the help that's needed. Do we need more reminders from God that there's no hope in man for redemption? Once again, we have a horrible narrative given us by God to push us forward 
to look for something, someone better, and to long for that person to come. The son of David, our true brother, our true friend, our true father, and our true king. Again, God's reminding us, there are no heroes in the human race. I'm not, you're not. Not even among his people, except Jesus, the only hero. And time after time, chapter after chapter, we get disappointed in the people of the kingdom, the people of the church. Why? So that we might know that we are a needy family. The people of God is a needy family. And we need to look for our help from above. And our temptation is to become cynical about the needs of that family and to turn our back on that family and hate the kingdom of Christ. And yet we need to know it's from this family that the Christ is going to be born, as we said last time. It's from this family that God is going to raise up a helper. And that helper is the, G, is the Lord Jesus Christ. When everyone else is failing here, God is being true. When everything is breaking, God is not. And the kingdom of Jesus is actually lurching forward in spite of this cast of characters. It really is. It's a reminder that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we need the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And today, I call you to come to the true brother, our Lord Jesus Christ, who's not ashamed to call us his brothers, but rather than put shame on us, came to take it away and protect us and defend us as his family. He loves his family with a true an everlasting love that brought him to the cross to die for our sins. He's the true brother. He's the true friend, unlike Jonadab. A friend that loves at all times. The friend that gives godly counsel. This is the friend that laid down his life for his friend. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. He's the true brother. He's the true friend. He's the true father. When he's called everlasting father in the Bible, that means he's the true leader, the perfect one. Who really cares for his people and really guides us aright. And the true king, the perfect one, who offered his life on the tree of the cross so that we might be set free. And I don't know about you, but as I look at this passage, I find myself here too. Am I always a faithful brother? No. Am I always a faithful friend? No. Am I always a faithful dad? No. Am I always a faithful leader? No. 
but I know someone who is. And there's my comfort and my hope today. Let's go to him, not only for the forgiveness of all our sins. He wipes them away, sets us free from our guilt, but also for the gift of his spirit to be faithful and true men and women of God in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let's with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen.